building a platform to share challenges, thoughts from leaders, and network together, the LabOps Leadership Podcast is elevating LabOps professionals as well as the industry as a whole. With the intent of unlocking the power of LabOps, we deliver unique insights to execute the mission at hand, to standardize LabOps and empower LabOps leaders. I'm Carrie Anderson. And I'm Samantha Black. Welcome to the LabOps Leadership Podcast. Today, we're here with Tomaso Monsi, who is VP of Artificial Intelligence, Machine Learning, and Digital Health at Janssen R&D. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tomaso. No, thank you so much, Samantha. Very nice to uh, to be here. It's a great honor to basically share our experience in AI with you, and I, I look forward to the discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, let's kick it off. And um, if you just want to tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today and just um, a little bit more about your background. Sure. Um, so, as you said, right, today I'm I'm working at Janssen R&D in the data science team, right, focusing on development of AI solutions to help our programs. But before arriving where I am today, um, actually, uh, I, I had the chance to uh, to evolve in, in healthcare, but coming from a technical side. Um, so everything started when I did my master's at the Montreal Neurological Institute. Um, so I, my background is in computer science and telecommunication engineering. But there I had the chance to start working on uh, neuroimaging data uh, for actually pediatric use cases, so patients suffering from epilepsy. And it felt so... Um, a great sense of purpose, right? That you can actually develop solutions that can help patients. Um, so it's where somewhat I took the virus of med tech, if you want. Um, then I had an experience in industry, then finally switched to do a PhD uh, in uh, actually um, biomedical engineering. So doing some medical imaging, AI development, modeling and simulations, digital twin, and that PhD was in collaboration with Siemens Health Seniors, which just after finishing the PhD, I had the honor to join. And um, so prior to being at Janssen, I worked for Siemens Health Seniors for, uh, for 11 years. And um, at that time, we were developing AI solutions to support um, basically physicians to do their job. And my focus was mostly on image-guided therapy. Um, so how you could use AI imaging, real-time uh, sensing, to help the surgeons and physicians better treat patients. And then I had this wonderful opportunity to actually join the Janssen R&D Data Science. You know, pharma is a therapy by excellence, right? The first thing you do give to treat a patient is a drug. And I'm always, you know, tended to go towards therapy because if you fix and if you treat a patient, at the end, the patient is happy, right? Um, And so um, said, why not? joined and uh, really it's amazing what actually AI, machine learning, data science can bring to the pharma world and the impact it can have to the patients that we serve. And so um, that's been an exciting journey and I'm happy to to discuss more with you what what can be, what is possible. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious. Um, you know, it's a very big umbrella that you you're describing. So, can you tell us a little bit more about what you're actually working on and um, you know, what technology you're developing there? Sure. I think so it's um 
So if we step back, right, and you see what is currently happening in healthcare, um, actually, healthcare industry is experiencing what is happening also in other industry with a, a, a multiplication, an exponential uh, multiplication of data sets, right? You have progress in sensing, progress in, 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 in algorithms, progress in compute, which actually makes things possible today that we could not even do five years ago. And in healthcare, this is, you know, you, you, you see it every day, right? New technologies to sense what the cell can do, new, new machines, new imaging that is more and more precise. Uh, the data is being digitalized and managed end-to-end -end in hospitals, right? So all this creates actually an ecosystem that allows to develop solutions, right, to basically develop novel treatments for the patients. And this is what we recognize in Janssen R&D, right? So this, um, and Janssen in general. So it's this power of this combination of increased biological knowledge, disease, how it works, and the data that allow, and then the technology, right? So this convergence that um, can bring so much, right? So how do we do that more precisely? Um, like I told you, so we really believe on the power of data to give the insights, right, on diseases, right? So leveraging large biobank data sets to try to identify subtypes of diseases, for instance. I mean, you may call a topic a disease like mood disorders, for instance, right? Um, but actually, there are several etiologies below them. And then each etiology might actually result in different mechanisms that you can target and potentially new drugs, right? Um, also, on the clinical trials themselves, right? So by bringing data set in the operationalization, you can make it more efficient, potentially shorten the time, uh, increasing the specificity to, again, help getting the insight on the, on the efficacy and potential side effect of the drug. And then, you know, precision medicine is actually precision medicine is actually happening, right? We are developing treatments for more and more targeted diseases, right? And now the key is to, okay, identify that disease, but then also screen these patients, right? And for that, you need advanced technologies and sensing and algorithms to identify these patients. And so this is what we do. In particular, in my team, we focus mostly on, tech, on AI algorithm developments and, solution, and, and development of solutions, right? To really look end-to-end -end from the early understanding of the disease all the way to uh, helping clinical trials, right? With advanced solutions ever, for instance, in medical imaging or also in digital health. And it's really a great honor, right? To be part of a, a, a great team, 100 scientists who are dedicated to basically help um, the development of drug and, and bring them faster to the patients. Yeah, I think it's incredible you're able to target in that way, you know, and the technology has just changed so much in the last few years. Um, but as we know, you know, with rapid growth, we often encounter many struggles. Uh, what are some of those struggles that you've encountered during this time? And what were some possible solutions you came up with? That, that's a, a, an excellent question, right? It depends where you uh, look at, right? So one of the, one of the, struggle is can we so you know i mean there is a, the success rate of a new drug throughout the development process is not as high as we would like it to be right so you have many clear trials that fail and so on so forth so the key question is how can you use data 
to actually increase that success rate, which basically means do better decision earlier in the pipeline. Can you, for instance, even before going to clinical, predict potential toxicity of a drug? Because if you can predict that the drug will have off-target uh, um, off toxicity, right, then you stop right away. Or also potentially predicting uh, uh, efficacy, right? So you have the preclinical experiment that, of course, are being done, but actually there is a trend to push that decision, push that prediction earlier and earlier, thanks to actually high throughput screenings, for instance, where you have the combination of uh, automation and robotics with new sensing technologies and cell lines, organoids, and all these things, plus the massive amount of data sets that you have, right, to that you can generate to actually make these predictions, but then also link it with real-world data that is out there and these large biobanks, for instance, that exist, right, for instance, the UK biobank. So can you the more insight you have earlier to help that decision in order to overcome this first struggle, which is the success rate of the trials. Another one is more on the trial side, is that is on the uh, diversity, equi equi equity, and, and um, inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. When you develop a therapy, right, you want it to be to work on the population that is in the world, right? And for that, it's super important that when you develop the therapy, right, you do it with the population in mind, that you don't only go in one specific site, right, and then overlook other populations, right, who could, who would, we want them to benefit from that therapy, but because we cannot involve them during the clinical trial, then it, it, it's restrictive. So this is very important for us. We really, really want, we really have this in our heart and using data actually to identify, for instance, what would be the best sites in the world such that we can act effectively test and, and, or, and try our drugs in the population we target and have a representation of everyone, right? And here again, data helps. So you don't go anymore to your, let's say, your preferred vendors. I mean, we still go with them, of course, but you, we do a, a strategic decision on where to go such that the population of the clinical trial is representative of the population who want to benefit of the, of the, of the drug we develop. So site selection, patient identification, right? Developing AI solutions to identify the patients early on to basically give them the opportunity they are willing to, to enroll into a clinical trial. And then finally, the reality is that part, you may want to participate to a clinical trial to benefit from the latest therapies that exist, but it might be difficult because maybe the hospital that is doing that is at 100 miles away, right? So now how can we still give that opportunity to patients, right? And so this is the power of actually what we call decentralized clinical trials. So can we use digital technologies to actually bring, quote unquote, bring the trial at home, right? So use wearables, for instance, to, bet, to quantify the state of the patient and send that information back to the PI who can do the analysis. And instead of asking the patient to go like every week to the hospital, then to go less often, Right, so that would actually increase the uh, access to the to the to the latest therapy to these patients. So you see, so this is data and AI can help in all these aspects, and this is uh, very exciting because it they 
have the potential to provide solutions to these struggles that we all face in the industry. Yeah, I think it's incredible that, you know, the data and AI is able to help with that, um, especially the inclusion factor. It's really important today. Yeah, this is a huge, uh, that's, that's a huge opportunity that we we, we have to, right, yes. we, to, 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 to do it. So I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, I think this this is incredible. And I think data is at the center of it. And whenever we talk about data, you know, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is is data integrity and how how do you trust the data that's coming out of the lab um and so from from our audience um i think people who work in operations this is a a big point for them you know they're they're really working to make sure that the data coming out of the lab can be trusted so i would be interested to know from your point of view um you know, how that impacts your work and how, how you are ensuring that the data um, that you're using is, is validated and um, is, is correct is not the right word, but, you know, is, um, is to be trusted and um, is the right data to use. <laughs> now that's an excellent question, right? So there is a saying in AI that's garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> so basically, uh, it's it's fundamental to have proper data governance, right? And in data governance, is not only the data quality, but also everything around data, like privacy. Um, uh, uh, you know, it has to be linked. You, you you can only use the data for what you have been granted for. You know, traceability need to be within all of this. Regarding data quality, right? So that that's an excellent an excellent point and. Um, we put in place processes. So first we start by the clean, by the question. What do we want to answer, right? What is the problem we are trying to solve? So this is fundamental, right? Um, then based on that, we ask the question, okay, what data is available and what data can be generated? So when it's on the preclinical side, for instance, you may have actually even the possibility to start using automation and large scale robot and robotic experiments that will actually decrease the variability of the experiment by basically going large scale, but a, a very thorough process. When it's on the clinical side, of course, we have to set up quality control and check marks, right? So on the on, on the data that you obtain, usually you have a, 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 a well-defined protocol, what type of imaging, what type of lab test um, that you acquire. Then you have data annotation. Right. So one is, for instance, the raw data, then the other one is the annotation. The annotation means you uh, you basically assign a label to the data that you have, and that label is used to train the AI system. Right. Um, here, actually, having very very good annotations is even more important than having very very good data, right? Because at such, uh, the reality is that when you want, for instance, to deploy an algorithm in the real world, you need to train your algorithms on the data that you will see in the real world. So sometimes you may want to have data sets that are of real world quality, right? But on the annotations that you use to train the AI algorithm, this is basically the, the teacher of the algorithm. So if the, the teacher has to be right. And here again, you have different ways. So if, if for instance, if the, if the label is a molecular test, of course, you make sure that there are proper protocols and so on and so forth that are uh, followed throughout the different uh, 
patients, for instance. But if it's something that somebody has to label, right? Then again, we need to rely on experts who did that their lifetime to do the labeling. The reality is that sometimes one expert is not enough. You need to have two or three. Do the, do the, each one do the labeling. They will not agree. In some of the cases, they will not agree. Bring them in a room, come with, a, with, a, with an agreement, right? And then use that as a ground truth for the, for the AI development. And then the other thing is that you will have also data from other modalities, right? We'll have imaging, EHR, lab tests, this. And so here's the key, and it is connectivity, right? How do you link all this information, right? In order to then, when you need that information to, uh, to access the data. And here in, in, in Janssen R&D, we developed an infrastructure called MedAI, actually to help us throughout the entire process. Right from the governance to data cataloging to linking between different modalities to the linking with the annotation, such that the scientist, right, can just log, look for the data they need to answer the question they have, and then confidently use if they are allowed to do it based on on the governance, right? So the system tells you, okay, you can or you cannot, then confidently use the data for their algorithm development. Back to the lab, right? I think where there is a huge opportunity, but please keep me honest here, <laughs> is on the automation, right? So when you look at what is happening, right, is this convergence of robotics, AI, and wet lab. This is so exciting. I mean, it's like, it's, it's amazing what we can do today and five years ago, we, we could not even do, right? By combining computer vision, combining robotics, combining um, novel biological processes, right? That allow to basically alter the cells and so on and so forth. We can generate actually data at scale. And because it's you, you bring more and more automation, right? With, of course, the human in the loop, but this interaction between human and automation actually help scale, but also standardize. And this helps the AI development down the line. So this, I think the center, centaur, right? In AI, we, we have this centaur concept, which is basically the, the joint partnership between human and automation, ro robotics and AI, right? This is actually super exciting, right? Because it takes the best of the two to achieve breakthrough that uh, we don't even know what we're gonna do. So cool! <laughs> That's yeah. like it's um. It seems like the very futuristic, but it's 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 right around the corner. Like you said, it's already happening in in some ways. So I think it's very exciting. And I think one thing for me is you know people are still central to that. I think in mm -hmm. you know I think whenever anybody says AI, they think oh something you know just computers all on their own like. It's going to run the lab. And I, I think for what I'm hearing from you is that's like never going to be the case because you need people behind the scenes. You need people, lab boss people in the in the labs. You need scientists. You need data scientists behind the scenes, making sure that it's doing the job that it needs to get done. So I, I think that's a really important point. And I think, um, you know, the the steering of it, um, <laughs> uh, the steering of that, is is 
fascinating to me because you can't remove people from the equation. Um, I think that is um, encouraging, I would hope, to many of our listeners who are, you know, there's, there's, there's so much possibility in AI, but, you know, maybe there's also opportunity for lab ops um, or anybody in the the healthcare sector to to really drive this forward. So I think it could be seen as an opportunity rather than, you know, a scary thing that, you know, humans are going to get cut out of the process. And I think that's, you know, I just yeah, think no, I, <laughs> I I fully agree. And 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 you know, I, I I was before on the radiology and when when AI started in radiology already five, six years ago, there were lots of articles, right? Should even students take radiology uh, a specialty, right, in, in the news. And the reality, you know, is that, no, I mean, having a, a, a if we should, right, it's, it's that AI will not replace them. And, and they were actually, even there were people saying, radiologists plus AI, right, will replace AI only, of course, but also those who don't want to use AI and just stick to, to manual stuff. So it's really the combination of the two, this synergy that can bring a lot of value. And we see it across many industries, right? And it's where you take the, the ingenuity of humans combined with the scale that automation and AI can bring, right? Where insights will, will be generated. And so that's why on the on the lab, I think you, you see a lot of uh, you you see, for instance, companies developing actually this integrated infrastructure where you have an experiment that is run at scale, and then the lab or, or the the scientist or whoever gets the result, do the analysis, try to understand, and potentially put make an, another hypothesis, and then regenerate again. But then sometimes you you always need the quality control, of course, right? And also you need also to invent, right? As new discoveries come and this comes also from human, right? So it's really this symbiosis that is very exciting, but that's my personal opinion, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's that combination of automation and people that will be driving us forward. But you've, so you've had this incredible career and it's been fascinating to hear about. Um, I'm sure you have a lot of advice to offer our listeners What's the biggest lesson you've learned so far in your career? That's a tough one. Just be curious. Don't hesitate to go beyond your comfort zone and with be humble and 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 learn. Um, I think what is fascinating is is uh, is connecting dots across fields that on the surface or are fundamentally different, but when you sometimes you have cross pollination that happens, right? So something that you do in one field can be transported to the other one. And this only comes through curiosity and learning what the other person does and, uh, you know, bring, there is no stupid ideas. So that that would be, you know, a lesson learned. So, so many times I had the chance to actually talk with people doing something completely different and then come up, hey, actually maybe there is something, you know? So shed shed another light to a problem um, is, is, is fascinating. And then when you, when when it becomes technical, right, and when you start talking like more on the methodology, technology side, and then go further down on the mathematics, right, then there is even more common denominator. So sometimes you might be using similar approaches in fields that are completely different, but the mathematical theories actually are the same. So if you don't have to reinvent the wheel, don't do that, right? <laughs> 
But this is one, of course, right? But the other thing is that sometimes in your field, you may have a problem whose solution has been already developed in another field, but it's just that you don't know because of, you know, we have specialized when somebody just comes up and then say, oh, this worked for me. Um, then you actually solve your problem, right? I think I can give an example. For instance, I remember we developed an algorithm. We were working to develop an algorithm to predict the electrophysiology in the heart, right? To simulate, basically create a, a patient-specific model of the cardiac electrophysiology. And it takes time to compute that, right? Um, it's a complex model that takes into account what happens on the cells and blah, blah, blah. In a completely separate world in computational fluid dynamics, you know, that is being used in other industries and so on and so forth. We actually developed a method that allows you to do very fast computations, right? Because they had this need. Now, one is like fluid dynamics, right? So air and water and stuff. The other one is electri electricity, if you want. But then we were chatting with a colleague and when we started to deep dive and then you realize that actually the equations are different, but the fundamentals are connected. And then you say, why don't we try? And actually it worked like this. <laughs> and we transported basically that technology to the other field, right? And we could now actually do the computation very fast. Um, and so this kind of, you know, this cross-pollination is, is at least on the technical side, is something that is very exciting. And that's why being curious of what is being done in other areas, you always learn something. So that can be beneficial. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's where data is a connector between everything. You know, it's not biology maybe, but, it, you know, or it's a different industry or a different type of medicine, but data is underlying all of it. So um, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned. Um, no matter what field you're in. So awesome. Well, Tommaso, um, the last question I have for you is um, if people want to follow your work, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, um, where might somebody find you and how can they connect with you? Sure. I think the first go-to place would be going into our uh, Janssen.com website or uh, uh, our global channels on LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, where we uh, publish basically the latest news of the science that uh, is being developed. Um, yeah, I think that would be a good entry point. You can look at the profile. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really awesome conversation. Um, it's super interesting. And I know that our listeners are going to find a lot of value in it. So thank you. Thank you so much. It has been a great pleasure. And thanks again for the honor to that you gave us to to be part of this discussion great thanks thank you for tuning in to this episode of the lab ops leadership podcast we hope you enjoyed today's guest for show notes resources and more information about lab ops unite please visit us at labops.community podcast this show is powered by elemental machines